Welcome to another episode of the Pastor's Call Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Webb. Before we begin today's episode, I want to thank the sponsor for the show. It's Blue Water Free Methodist Church, where I have the pleasure of serving. We're an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. As well, this podcast is produced and edited by Refresh Digital Services. Well, today I'm so happy and thankful to have joining me a really good friend of mine, a a brother that I really appreciate so much, Ken Patrickwin. He has years and years of ministry experience under his belt in various roles, uh, but as well has a uh, focus, especially for the last uh, couple decades relating uh, to counseling as well. So really excited uh, to get into today. So thank you so much for joining me, Ken. Sure. This is going to be interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I've not done a lot of these. (laughs) Well, no time like the present. So (laughs) would love for you just to start by sharing a little bit of who you are, your background, and uh, what you felt your call into ministry was. Okay. So should I start when I was five? No. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's, I grew up a New Englander. I've grown up in New England most of my life until I was like in high school. Mm-hmm. Then I went off. Then the furthest west I ever lived within was in Syracuse, New York, until I came to Michigan when I was in my 30s. So that's how that is. Um, and so, that, well, I, uh, <clears throat> I started out, I was not a believer mm-hmm. until I was 18 years old. I was mm-hmm. in a Protestant church. And we were good people, and we mm-hmm. did nice things, yep. you know. And we and I thought I was a Christian mm-hmm. until one day, during the Jesus Revolution time, you know. I mm-hmm. I, I was born nineteen fifty four, so it was in the sixties, seventies, and um, I was at a, at my cousin's house. We went to a Bible study, and it was a typical sixties one where you're down in the basement and it's kind of dark in the basement, and you have a guitar and you're playing. And the guy said, "Do you want to ask Jesus in your life?" And I remember that moment, this is interesting, that that moment, I thought, oh, I can't do that, I'd embarrass, my cousin was there, so I, I'd embarrass my cousin, and she invited me here, and I don't know, and you know, yeah, I'm a believer, or I don't, and I was kind of, so I talked myself out of it. Hmm. And so then I go to shake the hands with the guy, and it just came out. It's like, I want to ask Jesus in my life. Then he did the thing they used to do years ago. He hollered up the stairs and said, Ken wants to become a Christian, so everybody came downstairs screaming and hollering and yelling, I'm going, what did I do? What did I do? <laughs> you know, but it's interesting because after that, I knew that there was a difference hmm. because before I was doing, quote, religious things, you know, reading Bible and youth group and all that stuff. And then now it was different. It hmm. now felt different because, it, hmm. you know, now we look, I look at it now. It's because I had a personal relationship yeah. with all of this mm-hmm. instead of just doing it because you do it on Sunday. Yeah. Um, so that's it. What? How? What else do you need? Yeah, to and say just here? just when um, it's kind of through this this process, what you felt your call towards ministry oh, okay, as yeah. a whole was. So what happened was um, when I was going through school, I wasn't really good educationally. I get like graduate, think with a C minus from high school. So the first thing I thought of is our our family was always the big thing on you know college. So mm. I went to a community college for the only thing I liked, which was art. So I did graphic arts. So I had I have an associate's degree in graphic design. Well, about the time just before I went into my um, uh, associate's college, I became a, a Christian. Mm-hmm. I was 18 years old, became a Christian. So I went there without any discipling with not I just went right from that to school and so um I remember the only thing I remember then 
the two years I went was, um, God, I remember this one prayer. It's, God, when I get out of here, it's almost like jail. When I get out of here, um, I want to, I need to get to know some Christians. I got out of there. Yeah. And um, what happened was I met everybody I saw, everybody I met was a Christian. So it's just God was inundating me with Christians. So what happens was I started living in a house with four other guys who are new to the Lord too. So we're just kind of this, I call it God's discipleship home. That was a time where we, we were all working, you know, it's typical young people in their 20s and you're working and you're a Christian, mm. you're all excited, you know, and you, you do the thing where, um, you know, you come home from work mm. at five, mm. you eat, and then you talk about the Bible all and the, what happened and what went on, go to bed at two o'clock, get up at, three, at four o'clock to go to, you know, and so did that for months. Mm. And so um, that was kind of, it was one of those times mm. that were just real exciting. Mm. So that's when God started to grab my heart because... Mm. I never really had. I mean, I only had a religious experience before. So there's that. And then I um, ended up, started to, I had this passion to work with youth in the church. Mm -hmm. So I started that, didn't know much about it. I just kind of went in and had some interesting experiences and thought, I need to learn more about this. Mm -hmm. So that's when I, I got my bachelor's degree from Barrington College. It's not around anymore. It merged with Gordon College. Mm -hmm was a Christian liberal arts college. And mm. so they started with a um, youth ministry program. And, and the year that they started, the, the June of the year that they started the youth ministry program, I was at, a, at my church and talking about I wanted to go into youth ministry. They, at that time, they didn't have youth ministry mm. curriculum. Mm -hmm. And this guy came over and said, well, my, my uh, college is starting that in September. Hmm. And I said, well, okay, that's great. And he said, you should apply. I'm going, really, it's not gonna happen. It did. Hmm. God just worked it out. So hmm. I went there, got my bachelor's degree in youth ministry, worked for four or five years in different churches around. Hmm. And that's when I ended up going to Syracuse. And I worked in Syracuse, New York as a youth director. And then things happened there where I was kind of let go of the youth ministry um, position there. Not because I... Um, I did anything wrong. It was just they they were ending up needing a mm. an associate pastor, and I didn't have that. I had a degree in youth ministry. So then I talked to the only guy I knew who knew all the churches around, which was Clarence Jordan, who was from the uh, Syracuse Rescue Mission. And he said, as a matter of fact, I could use you. And I'm going, I've never worked with an alcoholic. I don't even think I remember seeing an alcoholic before. <laughs> and it's like, what am I going to do? And I said, well, I guess... Okay, yeah. you know, Clarence, you want to use me? It's like, okay. So I came on, and I think it was about 23 or 24 years old, as a, um, the building supervisor. I did not know what that position was. And what that position is, I lived in the, I was single, so I was living in the middle of the second floor of the building mm -hmm. in a little efficiency apartment. And they told me after about two weeks of being there, they said, by the way, you have all the authority of Clarence Jordan from 5.30 at night to 8 o'clock in the morning. And I'm going, excuse me, what you say to me? <laughs> Oh, uh, you mean I'm in charge of this whole place? It had sobering up, extended sobering up, you know, people, everybody was older than me pretty mm -hmm. much. Even they had a medics department and the medics department was older than me. It's mm -hmm. like, oh my. So that was an experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, through all of this, like with the youth, um, I was learning things about myself and about what was going on. I remember when I got done with the youth ministry and came on uh, at the mission, I remember thinking to myself, oh, you know, God has really taught me how to 
love the inner city because mm. it was in the middle of the inner city in Syracuse. So the first alcoholic I met that mm. had to blow in the breathalyzer machine and all that and was cussing and nasty and just, he was terrible. I mean, he was just nasty to, about, to everybody. And I was getting mad and he was calling me names and it's like, oh, that's driving me crazy, you know. And I remember walking away from that and God said, well, you love everybody. And I went, oh, okay. And so that's when in, at the rescue mission, God really was teaching me how to truly care for mm. people that mm. were down and out and mm. uh, just a mess. And so that's kind of where I think God started um, kind of training my spiritual mm. heart. Because when I became, most of us, when we become Christians, your heart is awakened and then it's like you could do anything. It's like, well, I'll go do this. I'll go over to Africa. I'll go there. You know, because you just, you just want to, your heart is saying, I'll, I'll do anything spiritual. Yeah. Just tell me what to do. Yeah. And I was kind of like that. But then by that time, God started honing it down and to say, you know, really give, I had a real passion for the, um, down and out, you know, the, um, you know, indigent and things like that. And just kind of the plight of the inner city. Hmm. And, uh, it was interesting because, you know, I'm white from white rural New England that I didn't really have a whole lot of experience with the other ethnic groups either. Hmm. And it was like, God just started working on that. Hmm. And so it was interesting. And through that time, <clears throat> I had had some brokenness of my own that I didn't know about. You know, you never do until yeah. God brings it out and shows you. And so it was relational stuff. So um, I did not know I was having that struggle. But as I started to learn things, God started to reveal things to me, too. Mm. And so that's going to be the latter part of yeah. the story. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. So, um, so as I was going through Syracuse and, um, you know, I was, I was working at the rescue mission, um, I started to see I needed to learn how to work with people like as a counselor. Mm -hmm. So um, I went to State University of New York at Oswego, New York. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a Christian college, but it was a master's college. And, mm -hmm. and I got a master's in human service counseling, which people might say, what is that? Because you don't hear about that much. And it's because there were three trunks. It was um, in that college. It was... Um, you know, school counselor, mm -hmm. there was social work and there was human service counseling. And I was mm -hmm. thinking, I don't know if I want to be a social worker because I, you know, I saw social work as you just kind of connecting people mm -hmm. with people. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessary, yeah. but that was my view. But I thought therapy sounded good because it was going to train me in everything, any kind of counseling that there mm -hmm. was, they were going to train me. And I thought that was good. That was a good choice because mm -hmm. I think God led that because I learned everything. All kinds of counseling mm -hmm. that there was. I mean, and, and it was one of these where you had practical experience. So I learned all kinds of different ways to yeah. impact people. And during that time, God was, um, I was working with youth too. And I remember thinking, I have to teach these kids how to walk with God. And I couldn't figure out how to do that. And then I found the Navigator books that are beginning in Christ series. Have mm -hmm. you heard of that? No, I haven't. No. It's one, it, it's like six sessions and it's like who is jesus who is god mm -hmm. who's the holy spirit how do you walk with you know the christian life and all that kind of yeah. stuff so it's basic stuff and it's a workbook mm -hmm. and so uh i remember getting that and somebody said this will be really good and i remember looking and that say hmm i don't even know this i should do this first so as a youth director i was doing that mm -hmm. learning 
the chapter or two before as I'm teaching the kids. So it was that kind of an experience. Um, and then, of course, the rescue mission was a Christian place, too. So we had a lot of training there. So yeah. God was kind of working mm. that. It's like I had never had discipleship before. So it's like God was yeah. kind of mm. doing mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So um, and during that time, too, when I was working at the mission, I met my wife. She and I tell people she and I met at the mission. And then I say we were staff. <laughs> You know, it's like, yeah, oh. Yeah. <laughs> so um, she was coming on as a woman's uh, discipleship director of the discipleship home. So uh, we, we got together. I was doing my master's. We got married. And then we had this passion to go and um, God had given us both the passion that if our parents were older and needing help, that we would go and live near them. Mm-hmm. Her parents lived in Michigan. And the only thing I knew about Michigan was there was Detroit and her parents lived there. That's all I know. <laughs> so uh, I, I went to this thing. It was co- I, I did this thing called Intermat. It's um, Intercristo. It was an intermatch mm-hmm. of where you do your profile. The company does theirs. And so what happened was I did that, and I sent my letter out on Friday, and they said they wanted to have a, um, you know, a, a, a philosophy of therapy. So I did that, and. Um, I sent it out on Friday. Monday, I got a letter from Teen Ranch, which Mm. is where I was applying in Michigan. And their philosophy of ministry was verbatim my Mm. my, uh, philosophy of therapy. So I'm thinking, wow, God. And I showed it to her, and I didn't tell her. She said, did your letter come back? I mean, this is weird. And so, and then we went, and then talk about God's direction. Then we went from having an apartment in Syracuse to giving up our apartment. We had a job, Mm -hmm. but we did not have a place to live yet. So we went over there and I lived with a guy for a a few weeks until we found a place, got there. And within three days we found a house. It was, we went to one house, another one. Then it's, we stepped on the floor of this one house and said, yep, that's the one. It just was kind of like that. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of one of these people would say, well, how did you know? It's like, I don't know. It just kind of ran through me. Yeah. I didn't even have to see it. I just stepped on the kitchen floor and said, yep, that's the one. My wife did the same thing. So that was interesting. So we, we went there, started working there. I worked there as a residential counselor, which was a counselor for working with delinquent teenagers in a house. Mm-hmm. It was a, at that time, it was a teaching parent style where you mm-hmm. had um, a house of with 10 beds in it and yeah. a couple that had even family mm. that would live there. It was like their house that had 10 teenage boys in it, which was a very interesting makeup. If you think about it, you know, yeah. if any of you have ever had more than one teenage boy living in the house with you, it's kind of different, but we had delinquent boys that were living with us. So that was really interesting. So, uh, and we not living with us, but living in mm-hmm. the thing. So I was the resi- a residential therapist for a while, and then I worked there for about fifteen years. So I ended up doing that and and doing other things there too. Mm. And so as that developed, it started to really kind of take over for me. It's like I thought I could do this the rest of my life, mm. but I was still, you know, like I said, I was still struggling with some brokenness. At that time, we met an organization called. Um, Reconciliation Ministry that does something that's called Living Waters, which is a resident, oh no, it's a um, program, uh, a weekly program that does um, counseling for uh, relational and sexual brokenness. And so we both went to that because we had our own issues. And so we went to that. Really, God changed things there. And then we started feeling motivated to bring it up north because it was Mm -hmm. down in the Detroit area or Utica area. Mm-hmm. And so um, <clears throat> so we 
brought up north kind of um i talked to the director he, he and i are good friends now and um we kind of honed it down to where it was more wide open to mm. broken just general brokenness and so then we started doing a ministry about brokenness while i was working at teen ranch so mm-hmm. it's there we go so there's all that and god had just kind of slowly been developing things and i people ask me how did you no, God wanted to do that. I didn't. I just kind of went with, it's like, okay, well, never done that before, mm-hmm. so might as well try that. Because every time I, I would change a job, it would be something new, that a new population that I never, ever mm. worked with. And as I look back, I go, you know, at that time, I was thinking, why am I doing this? I don't even know anything. I mean, I know nothing. Yeah. And as I look back, I see God was preparing me for what I've ended mm. up doing and mm-hmm. now i'm retired from and you know it's just it's interesting how you don't see it until you look back mm-hmm. and you go wow you know god did all that yeah. 50 years worth of counseling mm. in different ways and yeah. looking back it's like okay that makes sense now before it, it didn't mm-hmm. and even with my own brokenness when when i went through my brokenness i had um we have three boys and they grew up during the time of we were different stages of getting you know, working on a brokenness too. So they kind of had some of the brunt of that. Now, it wasn't terrible. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like really horrible, destructive. Our family was mm-hmm. falling apart. I mean, our family looked okay, but it was more internal brokenness that yeah. I knew was a mess and Barb knew was a mess. By the way, we're Barbie and Ken. So, you know, <laughs> people always laugh. Her name's Barb. My name's Ken. It's like, oh, Barbie and Ken get old. <laughs> so, so, um, so then we, uh, so we did that. And then, God um, moved me. We we were. I was doing the teen ranch thing, and then they closed, and I started working at a place called List Psychological hmm. Services, and they were a, a private counseling service in the area. And so when I came on there. Again, God had me do different things. I had never worked with outpatient therapy before. Mm. I had done what almost 12, I can't remember how many years, at teen range, but that was residential. So mm-hmm. I would come into a residential home. It's a milieu kind of setting, so I could kind of feel what was going on, and I couldn't yep. do that. Well, now I come to an outpatient thing where I see somebody in 45 minutes, and it's like, how am I supposed to figure this out? I'm supposed to diagnose them in two sessions. How do I diagnose them in, you know, an hour and a half? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, but God started working that and started working my heart with the fact that I was only working with teens at that time. And mm-hmm. then at List, I started working with kids that were mm-hmm. able to communicate, which was like eight years old up until f- in their 50s. Yeah. So it was a wide variety. Then mm-hmm. God directed me toward working with a, a population of people that were felons and, mm-hmm. um, and probationers and Mm -hmm. never worked with them before either so here i am going getting some training with that then later on um there was given hour is a national organization that asked um, therapists to give a free hour of therapy to uh, veterans Mm. and their or their families so i thought yeah i want to do that you know growing up the vietnam era never went but i grew up in the vietnam era i said okay um, I'll do that. I never had very many of those. And then the Wounded Warrior Project contacted me and asked if I would come over to, uh, I would work with them to be a, a, uh, a civilian therapist coming to work with the veterans on their mm-hmm. weekend encounter things that they had. So did that. And I found out, I, 
when I first went the first time, they said, well, why are you here? And everybody that came, they said, why are you here? And I said, because I'm a therapist and I don't, I don't know anything about veterans and I just would like to know. Mm-hmm. Two of the veterans said later, do you really want to know? And they told me, and it broke my heart. I mm-hmm. tell you, this is, breaks my heart even now. This is the thing that just took over. It's taken over ever since up to today. It just takes over because of what has happened with our veterans and them coming home and just having such a wreck. Some of them have such a wreck in their life, they don't know what to do. And it just wrecked me because I'm thinking, I've dealt with people with trauma for years and years and years and never even thought of doing that. And so Mm -hmm. it just took over my life. And so I started an organization called Warriors Hope. And not me, it's I brought, brought back my passion and shared it with a couple of the veterans I knew in Marlette where I live, and they said, you need to create an organization. I said, why would I do that? Veterans are not gonna listen to a civilian. Why would they? I don't know anything about anything. Yeah. And they said, oh no, you need to do this. And mm-hmm. so that's how that happened, and then I got to hear. So is that yeah. what you need no, that, to that's, talk about? That's fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing all that, and uh-huh. um, your you know your continued work with, with veterans, and also just men's ministry in general. Yeah. We met through Men's Encounter. Yeah, right. Um, that's where we first met and, you know, understanding kind of that grappling with, uh-huh. you know, how we kind of get f- confronted with our brokenness, uh-huh. you know, when the Holy Spirit is doing yeah. his work. Um, the good thing about the encounter movement, and, you know, I'll, you know this part, this is the most recent part. Um, I've been involved in the encounter movement, I know, I can't remember, maybe a number of years. But what happened was, um, this is not like a regular men's retreat. You know this, mm-hmm. it's not about a men's retreat. Is you go there to experience... Like Jesus, what do you want to tell me here? Mm-hmm. And and you know, I I when I was in the ch- working in the church before that, I ran youth mini- uh, men's mm-hmm. ministries and I did counseling with men, and so I was used to a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened was, God was able to grab my heart and say, mm-hmm. "You can let go of all the mess that you've had to hold on to as a therapist because you have to remember this stuff when people come in." Yeah. Says you can let go of it now. And he also created, and this is where I know you and I came in, is he created a brotherhood mm. of men who truly are committed to each other, right? Yep. I mean, it's yeah. you can testify to that too, that it is different than any connection I've had with other Christian men. It's mm-hmm. like, I really truly feel like that scripture that says a friend closer than a brother. Yeah. It's like that's, I mean, we've done that, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just powerful. I've mm-hmm. never seen a ministry like that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the moment we see the Men's Encounter logo on somebody's hat or hoodie like, ah, or something, brother. it's like, when did, when did you go here? You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and it's those, an instant connection. Yeah. And that's that's wonderful. So thank you so much for sharing your, your story, your journey yeah. experience uh, with that. I'd like for us to take a couple minutes and talk a little bit kind of more focused, uh-huh. you know, being, being a therapist, someone who's worked mm-hmm. in this realm and having experienced and participated in in how how you do some of that um especially focus related for pastors we understand the the wreck that a lot of pastors can get in Mm -hmm. um one of them could be because they just don't think therapy can help them anyways or Mm -hmm. they shouldn't as a pastor um or for many who don't even realize you know maybe they're pastoring out of their brokenness yeah um and they're really not pointing people to Christ, they're kind of just using their own brokenness as their own mm-hmm. kind of compass. Mm-hmm. Um, would you be able to share kind of a little bit of what you've experienced and seen with pastors sure. kind of relating to this? And then what what 
what should pastors do, especially if they have no idea where to start? Okay. Yeah. Well, what happens, I'll just share a little. When we came to Michigan, we started having, Barb and I both started having this passion of wanting to work with pastors, not work with them like therapeutically, but just to develop a friendship mm -hmm. with our community pastor mm -hmm. to say, you know, we're not just in your congregation. We just want to be a friend of yours because we, yeah. we, we were both seeing that pastors are, are that group of people that you never think about need friends i mean real friends yeah. not just you know oh you're my congregant and i see you every friday for breakfast that's not yeah. what i mean we all need mm -hmm. like what we talked about men's encounter we all need that kind of thing somebody that is not going to be surprised by how you feel or think mm -hmm. or what goes on yeah. and uh, i remember telling pastors that and they said one pastor said okay you know and he and it looked at me like Really? Not do yeah. That? Yeah, but yeah. You're a therapist. No, I'm not going to do that, right? But then after a while, he said, you know, I'd like to get together with you. And and I don't do, when I do that kind of thing, it's more of a just be a friend. Yeah. You know, I'm just kind of, he needs somebody to talk to. Just yep. that has no agenda. Yep. And that's the hardest part because, you know, as a pastor, as a even me, I was a ministry person. I was a therapist. I could not share my life with the clients I worked with. Yeah. Just like how, how many pastors feel like, yeah, I'm going to tell the, this congregant guy, you know, this guy that seems like a nice guy, I'm going to tell him everything. No. How yeah. can you do that? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, just in your head, you're th thinking, yeah. if I do that, what's my ministry going to be like? Mm -hmm. And that's what I did as a therapist. I said, how can I talk to anybody mm -hmm. about my mess, my brokenness? Because I'm a therapist, mm -hmm. you know, the, my role as a therapist is going to be gone. I'm not going to be able to deal with that. Yep. And so, um, so God started developing that. And then what we saw is that um, pastors, uh, I, my heart breaks for pastors because I know the way the world is going now, they're being used more to how do we deal with this and how do we deal with that? And how does Jesus fit with this mess that's going on? Yeah. And I think sometimes pastors, I see them almost like spiritual CEOs. They have so much to do that they don't really have time to sort things out sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's like if it's a mess, even for them, like what do I do with my family? My family members are lacking yeah. Because I'm I'm not home, I you mm -hmm. know, or I get interrupted every time I go do something. Mm -hmm. But how do I deal with this? Because I don't have time to think about it. Because yeah. I have to go to the retreat, I have to go to this, I have to da 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 meetings and whatever. And so I just don't know. I know they've told me before that that's it's just well, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. And you talk yeah. to other pastors, right? At pastoral meetings, you've gone to that, you know, and you talk about pastoral. But it, does that really meet the need? Mm -hmm. Going. You know, even yourself in pastoral yeah. meetings. Not always. No. Yeah, most of the time not. Not yeah. in a big group. No. Especially. No, yeah. Yeah, and then sometimes you feel like you don't have time because mm -hmm. it's just so much. There's such yeah. a need out there for your for what yeah. you do. And so um, so what I've done is I've always told pastors, yeah, I call it the backdoor ministry. It's one of these where, you know, you can tell me you want to meet with me anywhere, any place. And I won't announce it. And it can be out of town. It can be wherever you want to go if you need to talk. Yeah. And there haven't been a lot of pastors do that, but there have been some. Mm -hmm. But I think what happens is what I find is t pastors have a lot of the same similar things like I do as a therapist or social workers mm -hmm. or people like that because it's how do I how do I deal with my stuff mm -hmm. and not like you said earlier, not have it flow over into your stuff yeah. because I got mine, mm -hmm. you got yours, and it's hard because we can we can put on the face and say I'm fine. 
just like I worked with military, their big thing is I'm fine. Yeah. And if any military person say, if a buddy tells you I'm fine, he says, what's the problem? Mm-hmm. Because I'm not fine. Yeah. And so um, what I, a lot of it is, a lot of the therapy, I, or not really therapy, I call it more friendship with pastors. I, I just sit down and I'll just talk to them about whatever mm-hmm. they need to do. And my view, too, is therapy. I think people need to understand therapists have different views of things sometimes. Mm-hmm. And my view is, I'm not here to fix you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of the guy who helps you take the puzzle of your life that's been all twisted up and backwards and you have pieces missing and don't know what to do, is to kind of come up with an idea, what could this look like? Yeah. Or mm-hmm. what's a different way it could look mm-hmm. if it isn't working now? Yeah. And because God, I think, really has called us to sort things out. He wants us to mm. sort things, mm. mm-hmm. you know, and I can't tell you, but I can help you put the pieces mm-hmm. where it goes. Yeah. It, is that kind of. Yeah. And, and so what, so what yeah, would that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like what would that look like for a pastor who this is like a new foreign concept? Because, right. you know, for so many, they feel like they have to be a lone, solitary island that they're mm-hmm. supporting themselves. Well, by by the Holy Spirit, I don't need anybody's help. Right. God will make me well. Um, yeah, God will make me well. Well, I don't know if it works that way. And, and so what what are things that pastors can do if they feel like they're that island? Um, some just practical steps and even dealing with, you know, trauma that they face through hearing other people's The secondary mess. trauma. Second, the secondary trauma, you know, right. we recently, you helped me th- work, start beginning working through a process of something like that. Uh-huh of a conversation I had had with somebody. Um, and, and it hit me in a weird way that like for a couple days, I didn't know what was going on. Uh I just, my temper was shorter and I was getting perturbed quicker and ticked off and, Uh and everything. And then I finally like, well, what's going on? I don't know. Well, I need to call Ken. (laughs) Um, and (laughs) then, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And, and then you talked for a couple minutes and then the light started dinging on like, Oh, I'm facing something that I didn't realize I was. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so what, what could that look like for pastors? Okay. And then yeah. I think, you know, you told me the light bulb came on when I said one thing, because a lot of people don't know this, but we go through trauma experiences. All Every human being has gone through some kind of a trauma experience. Mm-hmm. We may not see it that way. May, we, you know, they have all these definitions of trauma yeah. now all over the community. But it's like if, if something assaults your emotions or assaults your mm-hmm. way of life, and it's very different. Your brain tries to sort out, where do I put this? Because it sorts mm-hmm. out every piece of information that, mm-hmm. that comes in from mm-hmm. your five senses. And if, it, if that piece of information does not make sense, it doesn't mm-hmm. connect to anything you've ever had before, mm-hmm. it's like your brain is running around trying to figure out, where do I put this? Yeah. It should go somewhere, but I know where mm-hmm. to categorize it. Yeah. And so that's what I was telling. I remember the discussion with you is like, well, you have trauma. And you're going, hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm telling on you, but it's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh my goodness, yes, I do. Mm -hmm. And it's because your brain didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so as we talked about it, there are characteristics of trauma that are not you're in bad shape, you're PTSD. It's not that. Yeah. But there's trauma makes our brain um, anxious Mm -hmm. and makes us, we'll get short, like you said, we'll get angry. Defensive, yeah. Yeah. And it's because your brain is meant to balance the system Mm -hmm. and it's trying to balance the system. But now something has gotten in the way. You mm-hmm. know, it's like there's this huge roadblock or you've tripped mm-hmm. over something. Now it's like, where, do, where did that come from? How mm-hmm. do we, and the brain's trying to fix, figure it yeah. out, figure it, mm-hmm. fix it and stuff yeah. like that. And in trauma studies, they say the best thing to do is if you're the closest you are to the, to the event of the trauma, 
And the more you can talk about it then, mm -hmm. uh, the less PTSD or, or long-term trauma mm -hmm. there is. It's mm -hmm. easier to deal with it yeah. because it's fresh. Mm -hmm. and, your, and your brain is, like I said, trying to sort it. So a, a therapist or somebody that can work with you on it or a trauma person can help you Mm -hmm. recategorize that mm -hmm. it's like okay let's like we almost started doing some of that yeah. just by talking mm -hmm. it's okay yeah. that makes sense yeah i can mm -hmm. i know where that is yeah and so your brain started going okay i can put that mm -hmm. somewhere now because mm -hmm. i know what it yeah. is i identified yeah. it and i know what mm -hmm. it is the yeah. problem is as ministry people we have trouble saying that because we feel like we're weak because i have trauma i should not have trauma i you know i'm help i'm the helper mm -hmm. right and I'll tell you myself, I've had burnout issues mm -hmm. that I did not know I had mm -hmm. as a therapist. And I had troubles with secondary trauma because mm -hmm. I was dealing with people who were felons that I had to read their initial reports that were assaulting to my own nature just because of what I was reading. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the gory details of their lives. Yeah. And I did not know it until my mm -hmm. boss one day said, you look like... You're having some secondary trauma. No, mm. I'm fine. And she yeah. said, really? You're fine, right? It's like, yeah. oh, okay. Mm. And so what happened was I had to start facing the fact that, yeah, I am traumatized by mm. these things. I can't mm. stop it. I can't. Mm -hmm. I'm doing the job, so I have to yeah. keep. I'm keeping getting traumatized. Mm -hmm. but, I, but I finally was able to do some things where, like, a lot of the things that kept me sane mm -hmm. along other, which... People who know me say Ken really. Sane, yeah. Yeah. Fairly sane. Fairly sane, yeah. <laughs> is is really being able to give it to God and just say, God, I can't deal with this. Mm -hmm. I, I just I I don't know what to mm -hmm. do. And to have brothers yep. that I mean they they're not trauma specialists, but mm -hmm. they're brothers who were mm -hmm. able to just walk beside me yep. and to let me be a mess. Yeah. And like you know this and all the friends that are close to me know this, that two years ago my wife passed away of uh, pancreatic cancer it was from may to october so that was a new experience for a trauma therapist a therapist mm -hmm. who's dealt with this is the inside of grief mm -hmm. i mean i now am experiencing the inside of a grief process not done it's only a year and a half but um and so what happened was i had friends that when this was all occurring I just fell apart. And that's the first time that I mm. actually had friends close enough that I could fall apart and be a blubbering idiot and not know what to say. And mm. everybody who knows me, I could talk all, all day. Um, and, and just to let me fall apart. And, yeah. and I, it was so healing for me because mm. for the first time in my life, I didn't have to be the professional. I didn't have to be mm -hmm. the guy who had it together. I didn't have yep. to be the guy who had the answers because mm -hmm. I don't. And even now, I'll tell, I have no answers, really. The only one I know who does is Jesus, who's the great counselor. And I will tell people, I'm not a... I'm not a good counselor. He's a great counselor. He will give us insight, both mm. of us insight into mm -hmm. what to do mm. because I, I can't fix you. Yeah. I've, I've come to the reality after mm -hmm. all these years of, ther of doing therapy that I cannot fix mm -hmm. anybody mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. And if any therapist says they can, I'd like to talk to them because yeah. I know how you fix somebody's mm -hmm. mess because yeah. we're all different. Our yeah. thinking is different. Our experiences mm -hmm. are different. Mm -hmm. All we can do is really go by the mm -hmm. direction of God's spirit mm -hmm. in our lives yeah. and talk. And as we talk, and I think pastors need to be able to find people and you don't just mm -hmm. all automatically find them. It's like you develop relationships mm -hmm. with people that are safe mm -hmm. and to have safe relationships is important. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And it's not, relationships are not always safe. 
Yeah, no, thank you for sharing all. It really kind of brings in a, a whole picture. Uh, you know, one thing I've appreciated how you shared everything is that just like good preaching always points to Christ, mm-hmm. good therapy always points to Christ in the end. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of pastors, maybe, you know, I know in the kind of the background I come from, there's that aversion to therapy and, and psychology. Psychology is not Christian. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. the vain philosophies of men and there's no mm-hmm. help there, you know, the, but just like medicine understands just a certain way our body works, you know, just in psychology, there's a certain way God has created our brains to work. And Mm -hmm. so we can understand how that operates and, you know, we can diagnose things, but we ultimately know that healing only comes through the Lord. Um, and so my, my hope is just as I've come to that realization is that pastors can understand, like, you know, if if you can find someone who is in the, your field that they ultimately know that it has to, go to Christ mm-hmm. um, as the source, as the provision of healing, mm-hmm. um, as the source of wisdom and knowledge. And for all of those things, that's the only way anything actually right. changes um, because we can't muscle through it. We right. can't emotional through it. We can't push through. And, and something you shared with me the other day that I really appreciated, you talked about um, trauma gives us opportunities to build resilience and resilience comes from uh, from hope and hope comes from knowing that tomorrow will be different from today i learned that from a uh, resilience training that was not even a christian training Mm -hmm. it was just it was about working with veterans and Mm -hmm. how you know how it is i mean pastors have heard this it's never going to be the same my wife is always or my husband or or you know my work is my boss Mm -hmm. is or whatever it's never going to change well they said that the the more you understand that the next day may be better Mm-hmm. Your brain is going to say, well, you know, it's bad and next week is bad too. But there's, but if you think about Christ, what mm-hmm. does he say all through the scripture? There is a day. Mm-hmm. God says he's mm-hmm. always going forward. We're always, he's the God of hope. He's yeah. the one who says, there's going to be a day that this is going to be all mm-hmm. different. There's going to be a day that um, you won't feel the pain. Mm-hmm. There's and, and just to, to me, I guess I was telling you to my, as I've dealt with human nature as I have, mm-hmm. I'm seeing two things. One is God is very, very, very aware of our broken human nature. Mm-hmm. And he is not, I don't think, terribly surprised when we do what we yeah. do. Because he knows we're broken. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knew what Adam and Eve did. And, you know, so we're as broken as anybody else. Mm-hmm. And he knows that. And he doesn't give us, that doesn't give us a reason why well, I'm broken. He can just go on and do life. Yeah. But it's more like we're surprised that we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. He's not. Yeah. And so because of that, if I can just face the fact, okay, God, I'm messed up. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what it is, but mm-hmm. I'm messed up. God is a God who speaks to us and God is a God who knows. Mm -hmm. And I'm just more and more convinced as I go through things spiritually that God will give us insight. Mm -hmm. I mean, as pastors, as ministers, we know, we tell people, God will give you insight, you know, pray about it and think about it. And, you know, but the one thing that we have to be able to accept is that I am a broken human being. I mean, no matter how much of the Holy Spirit is inside of me, some people may disagree theologically with this, but to me, this is what I see. We are broken humans. Mm -hmm. We will never be perfect on this side of heaven. And so because of that, I need to face the fact that I don't see things right, mm-hmm. even if I feel like I'm doing great. And mm-hmm. lately, mm-hmm. I've been feeling, you know, pretty good. I mean, there have been things that have gone on, the accident, all that. I'm not going to talk about that, but um, you know. So, but we need to really be very aware of who God is. So, mm-hmm. the more I know God, the better I can handle things, and then. The more I know my humanness is mm-hmm. I can say, okay, I'm not going to be devastated by this. Mm-hmm. God, this keeps recurring. What do I mm-hmm. do to make it stop recurring? Mm-hmm. And a therapist can help you sort through 
I tell people it's almost like a chain link of experiences. Mm -hmm. You have this experience, this one, they're all connected together. Once you break one of those chains of mm -hmm. brokenness that you have in your life, the whole chain starts to fall apart because you have mm -hmm. to have them all together. In order mm -hmm. to, so then your brain starts sorting it and says, mm -hmm. well, okay, if that's not, my big thing is truth and lies. If that's not true, mm -hmm. then what about this? Because that might not be true either. Mm -hmm. So it's like I'm, you know, I'm, I had insecurity issues. So it's almost like, well, nobody cares and then no mm -hmm. that's not true yeah and then it's well if that's not true well maybe this view of myself is not mm -hmm. true too and it all of a sudden god starts breaking down the mm -hmm. lies mm -hmm. and the more the more we approach the truth i tell people this too god is a god of truth satan is mm -hmm. a god of lies and deception right so if i'm believing lies that mm -hmm. i think are true you know the perce perceived truth i call yeah. it um and then the truth hits it all of a sudden there's light that comes onto this and we see, okay, that's not true. Mm. Once I understand that's not true, it's now in the kingdom of light. And so now you can start dealing with the lie. You can start saying, okay, I keep lying to myself. I do this. I mean, I, when Bart, when Bart was alive, we used to do this. It's like, now Ken, is that true? It's like, <sighs> no, it's not. But then it would just break everything else. And mm. then I could go, okay, that's right. Mm. But now she's gone. I've had to even do a new way. I have to have brothers now that I say, mm -hmm. is this true about me? Hmm. And they'll go, no, that's not Ken. It's like, okay, and that helps because it breaks hmm. the power of the deception that Satan mm -hmm. knows our weakness. And yeah. once we have a way of breaking that lie, Satan doesn't have that control over hmm. us. So then mm -hmm. we can see things clearer. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and the importance of having people around us. We were talking about this before we recorded. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the importance of about having people around us that will tell us, can tell us that we're wrong. Yeah. Um, and that we'll still keep them around. We won't get angry at them. We won't boot them out of the group. We won't, yeah. you know, not talk to them anymore. Right. Like people that we, we love and appreciate, but that are in a place to be able to say, uh -huh. no, you're wrong. Um, yeah. And we need to then carefully think through, maybe I am. Yeah. Um, and if you yeah. have people like that, they need to be able to explain to you why. Because to me, I have this lie that I'll tell myself about who I am. Yeah. You know, like I'm dumb. I have a master's degree. And I've told people this. And you looked at me and said, really, Ken? Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like, really, you're dumb, right? Yeah. You have a master's degree. But it's it, it went beyond knowledge. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, logic. It yep. just It's my emotional response yeah. to myself when mm -hmm. I do things. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to have a brother that says that's because of this. Mm -hmm. and, and you have a piece of solid truth that you can connect to it and say this is proves that that's true because mm -hmm. satan's going to say oh well that yeah they're just being nice to you mm -hmm. or whatever you know joel's yeah. just being nice because he's trying to preach you having a bad day yeah yeah <laughs> right mm -hmm. so the lies pile yeah. up. yeah well i i definitely know in the i'd love to bring you mm -hmm. on again and we can talk kind of yeah. i would love to talk about kind of this lies and breaking the chains mm -hmm. of lies and brokenness because right. i think there's so much for pastors that they don't you know, a lot of pastors, you know, because I've been in this place where I think, oh, well, I'm supposed to be okay. So if I say I'm okay, I am fine and my brokenness won't affect me. And then I think it won't impact how I minister um, or it won't affect my relationship with God or relationship with others. So I think there's more there. I'd love to get into another time. Um, but as we get ready to get to the end here, oh. there's a Charles Spurgeon quote I love. He talks about living in the Bible, but reading many good books. Uh -huh. And we've been changed and transformed. Oh, yeah by the power of God through the whole, through the word of God. Mm -hmm. So, but what have been one or a couple of those other good books that you've really okay. appreciated and enjoyed over the years? Well, there's one and it, it's a leadership book, but it just says a lot about mm -hmm. how you see yourself and how you do mm -hmm. things. 
It's called Lincoln on Leadership. I don't mm. know what it is, but it really is talking all about Abraham Lincoln and how mm. he, I love Lincoln. I mm. think he just had a whole lot of things mm. that I really appreciate it. But it talks about how he went outside of everybody agrees with me in his leadership mm -hmm. to have people come on that would challenge him as an authority but caused him to grow differently. Mm. And, and he, that's why he became effective in some of the things yeah. he did because of that. And then, I can't, oh, and then another one on youth ministry for you minister people. And I think it'd be good for not just youth ministry. There's a guy years ago that was kind of the guru of youth ministry for a while, Ron Hutchcraft. Mm. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Mm. But, um, well, it's an older book because I'm an older man. Um, <laughs> and um, what he, one thing he said, he said the church should not be um, a place where people are, well, it, it's the place for broken people where people come in and, and get well, but then they don't stay. He says it's almost like the old California lifeguard station out on the coast of California where the whole view was, you know, you could, the, their philosophy was you can go out as a, as a, uh, lifeguard to go get the people out of the shipwreck, but you don't necessarily need to come back. You need to save their lives, but we're not looking at you. And the other thing is when you do, you fix them up, and the, but you don't give them coffee and have them yeah. sit around and talk about everything. They need to go back out. Yep. And so that really struck me mm. because it's like, I don't want to have these kids. I don't want to have these people just feeling good inside because yep. what does that do? Mm -hmm. And it, and that's not what Christ wants. Yeah. I don't think either. Yeah, I'll and uh, bo those books will be in the show notes for this episode. Uh -huh. People can find them on Amazon and uh, hopefully benefit from those. Mm -hmm. So, well, Ken, thank you so much for sitting down. Um, I know we've been able to spend some time together this weekend mm -hmm. too, but for sitting down, sharing your story and your heart mm -hmm. um, for ministry and for pastors. So, thank you. Mm -hmm. Sure, this was great. I'd love to do it again. Awesome. I also want to thank the sponsor for the show. It's Blue Water Free Methodist Church. We're an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world as well. I want to thank Refresh Digital Services, who produces and, and edits this podcast. More importantly, I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us on another episode of the Pastor's Call podcast, where our hope, our goal, and our vision is to encourage those who are interested, pursuing, or in the pastoral ministry by hearing the stories of those who've gone before. You can find our show wherever podcasts are found. Please do on whatever platform. Subscribe so you know when episodes come out every single Wednesday morning. And as well, if you can interact and leave a, a review or a comment on the show, that'll really help other people find and hopefully benefit from what we're trying to do here. So uh, in the meantime, we'll see you on the next episode. Share this with your friends and family. Share it with your pastor. God bless. See you later.